welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. Tanya is a successful parenting coach. She helps thousands of parents through her courses, memberships, and hundreds of thousands through her blog. Her work was endorsed and recommended by the leaders in the parenting space, Dr. Shaftali Tsabari and Dr. Nora Markham. Hello, Avital. Hi, Dana. How are you? I'm fine. Avital, so what made you start coaching other parents and why? Um, well, uh, when I first became a parent, I quickly became obsessed with parenting and learning about alternative parenting um, approaches. And um, at the time, I was a designer. I was working in identity design and branding, and I had no thoughts of coaching other parents, certainly. Um, but I became more and more fascinated by it, and I was just reading a lot of books and taking courses. and. Um, I found myself just being one of those really annoying people who never stopped talking about something and uh, I kept talking about, you know, cloth diapering and elimination communication and attachment parenting and peaceful parenting, all the different things I was learning about. And eventually I found myself just having the same conversations again and again when people would ask me the same questions when they noticed that we were parenting a little bit differently than the mainstream. And I had... You know, I was kind of just throwing up the books that I had read on my friends who were asking me, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And so I decided um, just to make a few videos explaining so that it would be more centralized. And also because I was so passionate about what I was learning and I thought it could help more people. We were finding it so wonderful for our own family. So I started my YouTube channel just making videos about peaceful parenting and alternative parenting approaches. And with time over the years, that uh, that became that grew really. It just kind of skyrocketed, and suddenly I had an audience, and I had all these people writing questions to me, and I found myself coaching people before I was even taking any coaching training or anything, just based on the things I was learning and just based on what I what I was experiencing. And so I thought maybe this could be a different career for me, a new career for me, and I went and got some training from Simplicity Parenting and from hand-in-hand parenting coaching courses and eventually um, started creating my own courses and my own coaching practice. So it was a very gradual and organic process. Uh-huh. And what is exactly peaceful parenting? Um, well, peaceful parenting is really the idea that we offer um, both very warm and supportive environment for our children. It's a kind approach, um, but also have expectations and limits and boundaries. And the core of peaceful parenting is that you parent without punishments and rewards, uh, typically. So you're not sending kids to a timeout or, you know, threatening them that you'll take away privileges. Um, You might, you definitely would still use, you know, some natural consequences and logical consequences in order to help children learn um, but it's really the 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 respect um, for a child and 
the idea that we can solve things by being connected to our children and helping them learn to be cooperative and collaborative. Another core component of peaceful parenting is the idea that children want to cooperate and want to be in right relationship with us. They're not acting out because there's something bad in them and that needs to be, you know, kind of beaten out of them somehow, but rather uh, that if they're giving us a hard time, they must be having a hard time themselves and we need to be coaching them uh, and helping them rather than manipulating them or scaring them. Uh -huh. And what would be the best way to deal with a tantrum, for example? Well, in the peaceful parenting approach uh, that I've learned in this particular case from Dr. Laura Markham of Aha Parenting, who I know you know, yeah. um, the, the, the peaceful parenting approach to a tantrum would be to simply be there, be supportive if the child wants you to, right? If the child wants to be close to you um, and, and really let it pass. Just let them express their feelings. Because another core component of peaceful parenting is the idea that we can't allow all behaviors we can't allow you to hit or kick or hurt or do you know damage but we can allow all feelings and you're allowed to cry and you're allowed to be angry and so if you're having a tantrum or a meltdown we're going to simply allow that to happen my own personal approach is to see it very similar to diarrhea you know it's stinky and none of us prefer it and it sometimes takes a long time and it's not comfortable but as parents, if our children have diarrhea, then we just have to wait for it to come out and let it pass and, you know, support our children uh, in cleaning up the mess. And we don't need to make them feel guilty or wrong or shame them or try and make it stop or try and make them hold it in or bribe them with a lollipop if they just stop diarrheaing, you know, no. that is relevant. It needs to come out and then it will be done. And that's my own approach to a tantrum is that it needs to come out and then it will be done and we'll all feel better after it comes out. Uh -huh. And what would be the reward system that you recommend? I don't recommend any reward system. I think it's great to celebrate with children when they've accomplished something. It's great to set goals together. Um, but I don't think that we need to reward children arbitrarily you know with prizes or with money or with um, even with praise I think you know I very much follow Alfie Cohn's teachings on praise and reward um, saying that that's you know not not I mean obviously there are times when it that's just we just need to rely on it and that's what we need to do but I ideally I think it's it's better for us to simply acknowledge children and thank them genuinely when they've helped you know um, and uh, celebrate with them when they've succeeded. And um, I think that the reward is inherent in the activity itself. If you've completed a puzzle, that is rewarding. You know, if you've helped your family at dinner uh, to clear the table, that's rewarding. You were part of your community. So, uh, you know, I, I think that we don't need to pile on additional rewards in, in addition to what is already inherent intrinsically within that activity. Uh -huh. And many children on the autistic spectrum are dealing with anxiety. And what would you recommend parents should do when they have an anxiety attack? I'm definitely not an expert um, on anxiety or on autism. 
Um, but as someone who suffered severe PTSD in my own past and a lot of anxiety around that, um, I can say that I, I, I found the tenets of CBT to be incredibly helpful, um, cognitive behavioral therapy in helping me to decipher and question my thoughts and learning how to face what I was anxious about with a lot of support and very gradually. So I think it's a very huge question and people have written entire dissertations and books and PhDs about what you're asking me. So I'm not really mm -hmm. in a position to answer that, but I could just tell you my own approach with myself and my children with regards to anxiety is to coach them through it. Yeah. So when they're feeling anxious, not to say, okay, then we don't need to do that thing, right? Not to avoid the trigger of anxiety. Like if you're anxious about petting an animal, say, or going to a social, social, uh, you know, class or something, not to say, well, we won't do it because you're anxious, um, but to make it gradually and very, very supported so that you can experience a tiny bit of success each time in facing what you're anxious about. Mm -hmm. um, while still validating that it's hard for you, but that you can do hard things. Um, does that does that make sense, Dan? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, we supported our kids a lot through uh, floor time. Mm -hmm. So that kind of method, you know, is familiar and the way to overcome all kinds of anxious moments. Yeah. So you mean like getting on the floor and playing with them through the anxiety? Yes, yes, following the lead and through that, finding out more about what they're anxious about. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I would, I would also say that I think play and learning from play therapists is absolutely huge for any emotional distress, certainly for anxiety. You know, I, I try to prepare my children for big transitions or to process things that didn't go so well um, yeah. after the fact through play. So if your child had a scary visit to the doctor or is going to go to the doctor, you know, playing and allowing role reversals. Why don't you be the doctor and I'll be the patient, etc. So you get to really explore a theme and suddenly things will come up and you'll hear your child say things um, that you didn't realize they were nervous about or that they thought would happen. And you can help them to to kind of explore that and loosen the the fear around it through play and through making it funny or fun or silly or different and just taking different perspectives on. Exactly. And um, how do you help parents support the independent stages of their children? Um, <laughs> again, another huge question. Um, but. I mean, I'm a big believer in independence overall. I think that uh, we do it too much to newborns, too much independence to newborns where they really need to be um, very dependent and then not enough dependent independence for uh, preschoolers and, and elementary age school children. Um, but one thing that I am a big advocate for is independent play. I think play is one of those easy places where we can really fully transfer responsibility over to our children for what they play, for how they play, for how long they play, and it's an area where we parents meddle 
too often. And it's not our fault. We're being told by so many experts and so many people that we should direct our children and talk to them the whole time and, you know, get on the floor with them all the time and play with them. And I think that that's, that is a place. But what sometimes gets lost is the quality of independent play where a child is self-directed and where they get to decide for themselves how the games go. Um, so that's one area where I would really encourage parents from the earliest of ages to encourage and facilitate independent play rather than directed by an adult. And second to that is we have to fight back against this overprotection of childhood. We have to fight back in the way that we let our children, you know, slowly, slowly go out to play in the yard by themselves and ride a bike to a neighbor's house by themselves and go to the grocery shop on the corner by themselves and slowly introduce as much independence as is possible within our culture and legal system and within what's safe. But to do that, we need to recognize our own anxieties as parents and how much we are putting on our children uh, often things that are statistically negligible dangers and for those, you know, very, very low risks, we're not willing to let our children gain the very important skills of independence. So I think we have to question ourselves as parents and make sure that we are giving our children the independence that they need in order to develop well. Uh -huh. And um, you homeschool your kids, right? Yes, we have a kind of hybrid model. They go to some programs and most of the time we homeschool. Uh -huh. So how do you manage with four kids? For me, with one is difficult. Yes. Well, I have help. Um, I have help managing my home. I have help with the kids. We go to lots of different programs. I do not do it by myself. Um, and that's the main way that I manage. And the other thing that I also would encourage if you have more than one child or if you're struggling to um, manage with one child is that there's a certain embrace of the chaos of course we have to just realize that this is a season of our lives and it will pass and as as intense and crazy as it can sometimes be but also to care for ourselves in a, as deep a way as we can to really you know i think self-care is paramount in then being able to be available and present and managing the chaos of raising children so if i haven't slept well at night um, if I haven't gotten a little bit of time for myself, like doing my yoga or my meditation or my work or going out with friends during the week, then I don't manage very well. And I end up yelling and I end up being exhausted and the house is a complete mess. And so, I, you know, there are no secrets in how we manage. It's really, it's really about the level of support we have versus the level of responsibility. And when those two don't match, then we don't manage very well. So if you have more responsibility, you just have to match it with more support wherever possible. Exactly. And uh, I'm interested to hear your approach about electronic devices and... Oh. <laughs> oh, Dana, I don't know. Why don't you teach me? It is so confusing. I mean, it is so confusing. I can tell you where we are right now. I don't know if that's where we'll be in a year, <laughs> but... Um, I, I'm doing my best to walk the middle path um, with regards to uh, tech. I am not a technophobe. I am a big believer that technology is a gift and a wonderful part of 
being alive in the 21st century. It's what's allowing you and me to communicate today. It's what allows me to build my business and to be in touch with my family and to learn everything we need to learn. The information is all there at our fingertips and it's fun. It's fun to watch movies. It's fun to play video games. And I think all of those things are good. They also give us a break from parenting. And I think that that's good too. The digital babysitter is not a bad thing in our isolated modern day and age where we don't have enough support. I think that it's helpful. Um, but I'm also aware of, you know, of the perceived and real dangers of screen addiction and of all the different things that can and might go wrong uh, in social media. And so for me, it's about finding a right relationship with technology. And what works for us at the moment is having the time and the place that we enjoy our screens and not letting it overrun into other parts of our lives. So we'll do you know, a couple of hours of movies, uh, family movie night, we'll play some Minecraft, uh, we'll use some apps um, and watch some Netflix on, you know, typically we do it two days a week. And then the rest of the time, it's really as needed. Like if I'm having, you know, if someone's sick or if we are having a particularly rushed and difficult day and we need it, then fine. But otherwise we try to avoid the use. And that goes for the adults as well. Trying not to bring our phones to the dinner table or to bedtime. Uh, trying not to be on social media or on our screens at night after the kids go to sleep. Um, we keep Shabbat, and so we switch off our screens completely for 25 hours once a week. Um, so it's really for us, you know, ju just about trying to find that balance of enjoying technology, enjoying what it has to offer us, using it, but not going down into a level of addiction where we can't enjoy our lives and be present for each other without a screen there. Exactly. I mean, uh, for me, um, having uh, two boys who have uh, sensory difficulties, so I always try to be without the electronic devices because in case of, you know, handwriting, all of the activities, they need to do it the old traditional way and not through apps. So... Yeah. And I mean, and it's complicated because it's such a great tool as well, but you want to give them real hand work as well. It's, it, it is a, it's definitely a, a balance that I think we're all looking to strike today. Exactly. So how do you help parents fall in love again with parenting and feel when they're worn out? Um, you know, I, I think love is a daily choice. Um, and on some days we can't make it. On some days we just don't have the resources to fall in love with parenting. But I think that we are very uh, suggestible creatures. And if we create the atmosphere and the environment and the right words in our heads uh, to make us feel good and to make us feel connected with our children and to bring meaning to parenting, then we will experience it as a positive and joyful thing and if we don't you know if we bully ourselves if we go down the path of guilt and lack and scarcity and fear and shame and all of those things then we won't enjoy it and so for me it's about 
really being as intentional and deliberate as we can and saying, look, this is life. Yeah, we're here. We're here now. It doesn't matter what it, what got us here. Now we're here. Now we have these children in our lives. Now we have this body, this house, these finances, this car, this city. This is our life right now. How can we make the most of that and choose love and choose joy and choose to feel blessed and grateful and connected within our circumstance, within whatever reality we're in, right? And I think that that's a choice that we need to make and it's about getting to know ourselves as well. What helps us to feel those things? How can we view our children from the most generous, loving lens? How can we view ourselves from the So we, we get to make those choices and when we make them, then we inevitably affect how we feel. And the good news is that it snowballs in a positive direction. The more loving we are towards our children, the easier they are to parent, the, the easier it is to enjoy them, and the easier it is to be more loving towards them. And so it becomes a positive cycle rather than the vicious cycle that we sometimes find ourselves in. True. And Avital, how can parents contact you? Um, just go to my website, theparentingjunkie.com, and you'll, you'll see all the different avenues from there. Thank you so much. It was an amazing talk for me and learned so much. And Dana, thank you so much for your time. It was great to be here. I'm honored. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Sensory Change Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. For more information on sensory input and ideas, visit danalatta.com. Join our community this month to get a free 7-day online course packed with practical sensory activities and strategies.